I want to thank everybody for bringing the, uh, the shoe boxes back last weekend. We gave you a deadline the last weekend, but that gave us a little bit of a buffer time because the delivery is actually going to be tomorrow. So if you forgot your shoe box, if you're saying to yourself, why do I keep forgetting? You still got opportunity to bring it today. Uh, we, our church has become a hub for Operation uh, Christmas Child Shoe Box. Uh, in other words, churches all around our region, up into Michigan and Ohio, all around have been bringing shoeboxes in all week long. And we, we've received, we don't know how many. We know there's at least 700 shoeboxes here, and maybe as many as 1,000. Yeah, so that's good. So tomorrow is when they're going to be uh, taking those shoeboxes, dropping them off, Actually, uh, I don't remember when the shutoff time is, but this, this afternoon, there's more churches bringing things in. Uh, so we'll probably be well over 1,000. Oh, so yeah, hey, you're, looking, you're looking at the picture. Cool. So it was exciting that our church could be a part of working with other churches like this. I think this is a, a cool thing. Uh, I, I think churches, uh, we, we typically tend to be introverted and turn inward, and I think it's really great when we can do the opposite begin working together, do something with churches of different denominations. Another thing I want to tell you, I want to mention to you is this coming Thursday is Thanksgiving. You know that. And you're going to be getting together with family and you're going to have Thanksgiving dinner. And it may be that in the family where you are connected, it is not the tradition to give God thanks, to say a, a prayer before you eat. Everybody just digs right in. You know, like, like my dog, you <laughs> dig right in. But uh, I think on Thanksgiving ought to be a time when we pause, say thanks, thank you to the Lord. Now, here's, my, here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you go to one of those families where it is not the tradition to say thanks, go to the unofficial head. You know, somebody is the unofficial person. You know, everybody knows that person. It's either their house or it's mom or dad. Go to them and say, would you mind if I prayed before we eat? Just ask them that. You know, get their, you don't want a war going on. Just ask them that. Do you mind if I pray before we eat? Chances are they're going to say, well, I suppose that would be okay because it's out of the ordinary for this family. So, Take an index card and write down the two or three things that you would want to say in your prayer because you probably, maybe you don't, maybe you're not comfortable leading a prayer. So you take that card with you so when everybody bows their head and closes their eyes, you get the card out and they won't see you cheating. <laughs> and then you pray and you're thanking God and you're leading everybody else. You see, you're planting a seed in their mind of God awareness. We live in a world that has completely forgotten about God. They think God doesn't care. They think God doesn't relate to us at all. And you're giving them some God awareness. So I want to encourage you to do that this Thanksgiving. And it's going to be the beginning of a turnaround in somebody's life. And you started it. Amen. Okay? Good work, Pastor. So I want to encourage you for that. Okay, we are in this series called Last Words where we're looking at some uh, key people in the Bible and what they said last. You know, if the last thing, I would think the last thing you would say in your lifetime would have some significance. You know, you're, this, is, this is the last thing you're leaving behind. What would you want to communicate? What would you want to say? What would that be? So 
Today we're looking at the words of Jesus, the last words that Jesus spoke. But it's a little bit difficult looking at the last words that Jesus spoke because we have to ask ourselves, are these the last words he spoke before he died on the cross? Or would this be the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended? Or would it be the last words that he spoke, you know, in the book of Revelation from heaven speaking to us down here? So we're going to look at all of those as last words that he spoke. I remember when I was in the military, I was a chief clerk of a headquarters company of an intelligence unit in Europe during the Cold War. My job, one part of my job, was to manage all the operations plans. Now, an operations plan was a plan put in place by the big shots, the majors and the colonels and the generals, a, a plan of reaction. What would our unit do if the Russians did this? What would our unit do if the Russians did that? And I had a whole room full of file cabinets with all these operations plans. If the Russians did this, then all, every unit in Europe knew what they were to do. There was a reaction to whatever the Russians did. And there were a lot of plans. And every time I turned around, they were changing the plan. And I had to pull the old file out, put a new file in. It was my job to manage the files. We had a plan for everything. Because it's too late to put a plan together once the Russians take the action. And there's so many military units over there we needed to know, what is everybody going to do? Everybody needs to have their ducks in a row before it happens so that everybody was ready. You think maybe God has a plan? When, uh, uh, early on in my faith, uh, <clears throat> I, I purchased a book. It was a big, thick book by J. Finnis Dake called God's Plan for Man. It was a... It was a very complicated book looking at all the aspects of the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament to prove that God had a plan and everything in the Bible was all according to his plan and where we are today and where we're going to be when Jesus comes back is all a part of this big master plan that God has. He always has a plan. So we're going to look at the last words of Jesus because it reveals the plan. It's a summary of the plan. So when we look at the last words from the cross, this gets a little complicated because there are four different versions of what happened when he died on the cross. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us the account of the last words of Jesus. Now Mark confirms Matthew. They both say the same thing. But Luke and John have something different. So let's look at the three different last words of Jesus from the cross. Here's the first one. It's in Matthew 27, verse 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you like to take notes, here's the first point. It's the grim question. Why have you forsaken me? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Anybody? I got my hand up. If you walk with the Lord very often, 
or if you've done it for very long, there's going to come a time in your life when you're going to sit back and you're going to look at your life and you're going to say, God made these promises to me and I've been doing these things in response to the promises and everything fell apart. The plan disintegrated. I don't understand, God. Why have you turned your back on me? That's a question each of us will probably be in a place. Why did you let my loved one die like this? Why did you let the place where I worked close its doors? Why did you let these things happen? And there's no explanation. Why have you turned your back? Why have you forsaken me? It's a good question to ask of God when you feel that on the inside. Don't think you're hurting God. Don't think you're insulting God. He's a big boy. He can take it. But what he needs is for us to express what's on our inside. And there can be no resurrection if there's not a death first. And so here's a spiritual principle in our life that a lot of people wouldn't come to Christ if they knew. But I need to tell you the truth. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, there are things in your life that are going to have to die. There's going to be a lot of pain involved in being a Christian. It's not an easy thing. It's a walk of faith. It's not what you see. It's what God's promised. And he's going to work it out over a period of time. And he's got to get the old you demolished, the old me demolished, so he can rebuild a new me, a new you. Grim question. You see, the wages of sin is death, and we are all sinners, and there's death working within us. We live in a fallen planet. Bad things happen to good people right. on this earth. The only hope we have is to hang on to Jesus and ride through the storm because there's a calm on the other side of every storm. And the sad thing is when people who believe that give up on their faith because things got tough, because they found themselves in the middle of the storm, so they gave up on the promise. God's going to keep his promise. He is not going to turn away from his promise. He's going to hang on to that. So it's the grim question Jesus had to ask when he was hanging on the cross, and he felt in himself for the first time ever that he was alone because God cannot look upon sin. And he was, he, Jesus was assuming our sin, hanging on that cross, paying the price. The wages of sin is death. Jesus was paying the death penalty for us, for you and I, who could have cared less at the time. He was paying the price, the death penalty, to give us hope. Isn't that good news? Amen. Grim question. Here, here's the second thing. Luke says, says the last words a little bit differently. Luke says it like this. Verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. So Luke gives us a, another last words. I'm sure both of these statements were made from the cross, which was the final we're not sure about. So he says, this, this is what I call the Gateway transition into your hands, God. I'm going to commit my life, I'm giving it to you. My spirit, the spirit is the thing that connects us with God. You're a body, a soul, and a spirit. Your body connects you with this world through your five senses. 
Your soul connects you with yourself. That's your, your personality, who you really are. And your spirit is your God awareness. It was dead before you got saved. You believed in a God, but you didn't have a relationship with him. When you accepted Christ as your Savior and you invited his spirit to come in, there was an explosion of spiritual awakening that happened inside of you. You were born again. <clears throat> That's your spirit. Jesus is basically recommitting, giving up his spirit, that God connection, back to the Father. He's in the process of dying. What will be your last words when you're on your deathbed and you know you're about to go? What are you gonna, what's going to be really important? Had an opportunity to visit a lady in the hospital who's like 101, 102 years old. She's ready to go. And when they're that old, they're a little bit reluctant to let people come in the hospital room and visit. You know what I'm talking about? With COVID, we pass that around. And it's deadly for an older person. So, but they, they let me go in. I had to wear my mask, kept the distance, talked with her. And you know, you know what she wanted to say? She said, you're my pastor. You're my pastor. You'll always be my pastor. I want you to say some words at my funeral. I said, okay, but that's a long ways off, right? What would your last words be? Jesus says, Father, all these people are rejecting me, but I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm committing my spirit into your hands. That's total surrender. Yes. This is what Christianity is. There's a whole lot of wannabes, a whole lot of people that really want to claim the promises and have God's presence there. But here's how you get it. You give your life up. Yes. You surrender your life. Lord, I give my life to you. What does that mean? What does that mean, I give my life to you? It means I surrender control. Lord, it's up to you. You, you arrange my job. You arrange my finances. You arrange my relationships. I'm tired of fighting and demanding my own way. I'm going to trust in you because I don't trust me anymore. That's surrender. It's the gateway transition because it transitions from this life to the next. The gateway transition. Now notice he did it with a loud voice. Is that because God's so far away he had to say it real loud? No. God hears what we think. You can say a prayer without opening your mouth. That's not what it's about. He said it loud because he wanted everybody around here because he wanted somebody to write it down so that we could read it here in the year 2021 and be reminded of what surrender is. Yes. Because Jesus knew he could trust the Father. He knew he couldn't trust these people. They're so fickle. They come and they go in their faith. You can't trust people. But you can always trust the Father. Yes. So here's the third last words of Jesus. This is John's account. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Last words, it is finished. Now, to finish something means you've been, you've been working on something. There, there's a project you've been working on. 
Jesus was working on something, and he finally got her done. See, Jesus came with a mission. His mission wasn't to be liked by people. His mission was souls to pay the price for sin so that we could all experience that freedom. This is what I'm calling the good completion. He got done. He finished what he started. He will always finish what he starts, church. If you've given your life to him but you're frustrated in the way things are going, hang on. It's not finished yet. He's working on things. Now, what was finished was the plan so that you and I could have the Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives. That's what was finished when he died on the cross. So now all we have to do is call out to him. He was on a mission. He came to this world to get her done, and nothing was going to stand in the way. He was going to get the job finished, and when he died on the cross, which looks like a failure, which looks like an end, it really was the beginning because that's, he came to accomplish that plan. Not only did he come with a mission, he came with a passion. His passion was others. He's willing to give his own life up. Think about this. He's willing to give up his own life so that others could receive. You want to you find fullness in your heart? You want to you feel like your life's been fulfilled? Find somebody to pour your life into. Find somebody to invest in. Find somebody else to help. Find somebody else to pray for. Find somebody else you can take their hand and help them. Find somebody else be successful in life. Give it away and it comes back to you. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It's a promise we can hang on to. That's the good completion. Next last words of Jesus, we're going to uh, go away from the cross. Remember Jesus, three days later, was raised from the dead, seen by over 500 people at one time. Absolutely amazing. 500 people witnessed a man who was dead back from the dead. Proof positive. Just before he ascended, he said some other last words. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Man, this is the great commission, the great commission that he has given us. This is our charge. These are our marching orders. This is what our church and every other church in the world should be under. This, this is the instruction we have. And the only verb is go. And while you're going, baptize, teach, make disciples of all ethnic groups all over the world, But the verb is go. The problem with the church is we've reversed that. We've said, come. Come to church. 
Come on. Come. Jesus tells us to go. Because sinners aren't going to naturally come to church. Why in the world would they want to do that? Somebody in a church has got to take the message out there. Somebody's got to live it out there. That's where the need is. That's the mission field out there. In a little bit, we're going to say amen. After we finish this service, we're going to go out into that world. It's a dark world. It's a sinful world. It's a world that doesn't give God the time of day. Somebody's got to go out there and let our light shine. That's our mission. This is what the church's purpose is. Not to come. We come to get our batteries recharged so we can take it out there. It's our mission. Here's, Here's a picture. I want us to get this picture. A, a local church, I'll take us for example, there's lots of local churches out there, different denominations, they do things differently. They all have a common start. Small group of people get together and decide they have a better idea than established churches around. They want to do it different. So they pull together, have a prayer meeting, Bible study, strategize. What are we going to do? So they decide to start a church. Well, if you're going to have a church, you've got to have some people. It all starts with people, not a building. It's a people. So we've got to, got to get people together. So everybody goes out, and they works because, the, the, you see, they have a mission. We've got to get people, 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 souls. We've got to get people to make a decision. So we've got to have concerts or Bible studies or special speakers. We have to do something to attract people in. We've got to get people. And the focus is on people. Once people start coming, then they say, well, wait a minute, we, uh, where are we going to seat these people? Where are we going to park their cars? Where are we going to educate them? Where are they going to put their babies? And so immediately we have to start putting a structure together. So we have, class, have classrooms, got to rent a building or buy a building or build a building. We have to, and then, then you got to have seats and, and you got to have all kinds of stuff to make the people feel comfortable and to help them grow and help them develop, work together, function, do things together. And we keep adding structure because we keep adding people. And the next thing you know, structure is more important than people. This happens in all denominations all over the world. Churches that start out full of excitement end up with all these headaches because they have to fix the structure, they have to fix this, replace that, buy new stuff, we need more money, we got all... The church becomes a headache instead of an excitement because we forgot our mission. This is the Great Commission. Go into all the world. As you do it, baptize, teach, make disciples. As you go. So... The church has to get out of its introversion. Churches have become introverted. There's no attempt to reach out. It's just an attempt to take care of us. And the gospel is stunted. And eventually, we're all going to get old and die. And we have to keep breathing in new life. And if we're going to reach people outside the church... We're not going to do it by doing it the way we're comfortable. I am a baby boomer. God has called me to reach baby boomers. I'm good at reaching baby boomers because I know how they think. 
But the baby boomers are getting old and set in their ways and they don't want to change and they don't want to shift and we've got we've lost a whole young generation. And the church has got to change gears. And if the church won't change gears on its own, God can wake us up with something like COVID-19 and shut us down. So we have to do things a new way. And this morning, I'm speaking to a couple hundred people right now online that are watching from their homes. I'm so excited. Would I have thought this up? I'd have said, no, nobody will respond to that. But I've learned I was wrong. God was right. We need to let God set up what God wants to do and do it God's way. So I would just follow the blowing of the wind. (laughs) Okay. Let's go on to the uh, five minutes left. Good. Uh, Book of Revelation. Jesus makes two final statements. And I want to point these out. Here, here's the first one. It's in uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I wonder what he means by Come. I think it's an invitation for people who have been outside the faith to come into the faith. It's an invitation to people who have embraced the world's ways to come and embrace God's ways. If you're frustrated with the way the world has been treating you, I've got good news for you. God's got a better way to treat you. Oh, he's got to demolish the old first. But what he rebuilds is going to be well worth it. We've got to hang on. Let God finish what he started in every one of us. Amen. Come means embrace it. The truth is we're all sinners. The default position for all of us is an eternity in hell. God doesn't want us going there, so he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to identify with us, to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And all we have to do is accept what he did and invite him, invite his spirit to come into our lives, and we become born again. And there's a new life, there's a new awakening, there, there's an awareness of God that we never had before. It's exciting. That's what come means. Get in the game. Watching the game isn't the same as playing the game. Is it, Todd? You got to play the game. You got to get involved. Here's the last words he said in verse 20 of Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Last final words of Jesus. What's he want us to know? What's most important? I'm coming soon. That's what he wants us to know. He's coming. Now we can get uh, sidetracked on that word soon. NIV says soon. King James Version says I come quickly. Neither one of those translations are really a very good translation of the word. What it means is suddenly. 
without any warning. Here he is. Suddenly, it happens. He said he's coming back again. The spirit and the bride say, come. That's the grand invitation. When he says, yes, I am coming soon, that is the gospel obligation. Gospel means good news. He's given us a good news promise, and he's obligated to keep the promise. He wouldn't be who he says he is if he really didn't mean I'm coming back. He's coming back again. He's going to change the world. The world seems to be getting wilder and wilder. Who knows what's going to happen next? Even in our country, civilized country, who knows what's going to happen next? But he said he's going to come back again. He's coming back suddenly without a warning. We have to stay ready. Did you know that? God expects you to stay ready. Nobody, Nobody sitting in this room this morning can ever say before God, but I didn't know. You can never say that to him because you just heard. He's coming back again. In 1998, a man by the name of George Tulick had an exploration team that went to the site of the Titanic. And they took this submersible, this small submarine, down to the site of the Titanic. And they went all around that ship. It had a robotic arm that went out and picked up... uh, pair of glasses and a shoe and some dishware that fell that was laying on the the shore not the shore the the bottom of the ocean two and a half miles down they went down there and one thing he discovered is part of the titanic had broken off on the way down and was laying a short distance away so they estimated it weighed about 20 tons and they decided they were going to get a big ship in there with a big crane on it lower cables down and retrieve that 20-ton piece of the Titanic and bring it back. They got it all hooked up. They raised it up and they got it as far as the surface. They could actually see it. It was exposed to the air above. And it was a terrible storm going on when they got it up there and a cable broke and they had to release that thing back down to the bottom. George Tulick went back down one more time to visit that and he put a metal plate against that ship that simply said, I will be back, George Tulick. Well, he hasn't gone back yet. Probably too old now to do that if he's still living. I don't know if he's still living. But he said, I will be back. Why in the world would he want to go to all that effort and all that expense to bring that 20-ton piece of iron up to the surface and rescue it. Why would he want to do that? It's just a piece of junk. Why would he want to go back for it? That's the application to our message right there. Why would Jesus promise to come back for pieces of junk? He loves us. He's redeemed us. He's paid the price on the cross. He's coming back again. I don't know when, but it could be this afternoon before they ever pick up those shoeboxes. It could be today. Are you ready? That's the question. Are we ready? 
He's got a plan. He's put the plan in place. Are we going to step into the plan? Is it personal for us or is it just, well, that's, that's nice. God would do that for people. Or is he doing it for you? I want to encourage you, embrace the plan. Step into it. Put your arms around it. Put your faith into it. Say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. Father, we've heard the word. We can never say we didn't know. Now we know. You said you'd come back. That's an obligation. You're going to keep that promise. You are coming back. We just don't know when. And Father, we don't want that opportunity to come and us miss it. So I want to ask this question right now. Are you here and you, are, and you know that if Jesus came back today, you would not be ready? That there's some things in your life that are so muddied and so messed up that Jesus probably wouldn't take a second look at you? And you want you want to embrace this. You want to step into the plan. If that's you, would you raise your hand so I know who to pray for? You want to make Jesus your Savior. You want to be ready when he comes back. Thank you. Anyone else want to raise their hand, make that decision? It's between you and God. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Let's all say this prayer out loud. And those of you that raised your hands, you mean it. Heavenly Father, say it with me. Heavenly Father, I love you. I want to be ready when you come back. I believe Jesus paid the price for my sin when he died on the cross. And I ask you to forgive me my sin. I've let you down many times. I ask you to forgive me. Send your Holy Spirit to live in my heart. Give me the power to live in a way that pleases you. So today I'm giving my life to you. I want to serve you all my days. Show me what you want me to do. So I can serve you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you, if you said that prayer and you meant it, God heard you. Something has happened. There's a, something happened in the spiritual dynamic. It's, a, it's amazing. Watch and see what God does in your life because it's exciting. It's exciting what he wants to do. Amen.